This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Like the kōkako, the saddleback, or tieke, belongs to the New Zealand wattlebird family. A family to which the huia belonged and which has been established in this country since ancient times, much longer than most of our other birds. The saddleback takes its name from the bright reddish saddle on its back, which according to legend is the mark of Maui's hand. Sadly, this attractive bird has disappeared from the main islands and exists only on a few offshore islands, carefully chosen locations for resettlement away from predators, which appears to have saved the tieke from total extinction. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good day, friends. Good to have you with us on Community or Chaos. Today we have as our guests the privilege of speaking with Matt McCartan, a union leader and uh, also a political activist, and Bryce Edwards from uh, the Democracy Project at Victoria University, also a political analyst and commentator. You can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast and going to community or chaos. Bryce, can you mention what uh, the Democratic Project is? Oh, hi, Marvin. Yes, uh, thanks for inviting me on today. Uh, Yes, at Victoria University of Wellington, I'm involved in something called the Democracy Project. So there's a website we've got, democracyproject.nz, Really, this is a vehicle for discussion, debate, uh, information about New Zealand politics, and yeah, just trying to provide a, a platform for you know getting people involved in politics. Really, all right. And we're really pleased to have you on again, Matt. Yeah, it was good to see you, brother. Um, yeah. oh, you know, we're, we're on the phone. We're on the same page, but our looks have changed over the years. <laughs> Yeah, well, we like old wines, right? Old red red wines. We immature with age. That's yeah, <laughs> that's great. Red, red, red and rough, you know? Yep. Well, this country is, needs to adapt its infrastructure for climate change. We also need to change our transport infrastructure, agricultural production, and other systems and infrastructures in order to do our part in mitigating climate change. Also, as everyone knows, our health and education systems are sadly lacking in financial support. We also have increasing poverty and inequality. All these problems require financial resources, which leads us to the question of taxation. Could you both talk about David Parker's uh, Minister of uh, Finance and saying that we need a debate on taxation? Could you discuss this? Sure. I'll jump in here, Marvin. Yeah, I mean, tax, it's a really important part of politics. 
and it's one of those really nice traditional left-right sort of you know, divides where you've got the, the right wanting to you know, make the economy more efficient, reduce taxation on especially um, business and the more wealthy, and then you've got the left wanting to have a bigger tax take to allow society to have all those those things, those nice things like hospitals and schools and 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 roads and everything that helps us, you know, um, carry out our daily life. And traditionally, of course, the left want to find ways to get those that can afford to pay tax to contribute, you know, the, the biggest share. And of course, over the- right uh, question, how can the Labour Party won't raise taxes? Yeah, yeah. well, as you and I know, Marvin, um, you know, ever since the 1980s, the Labour Party has been less keen on this idea of taxation, and they've been wanting to um, shift a lot of the, the base of taxation um, towards the consumer, towards the, uh, the working person, and away from uh, from the wealthy with this general idea of trickle-down economics, that if we make society more attractive uh, for, the, for the wealthy. They'll come here, they'll invest, uh, they'll be productive, and somehow that will make the rest of us, you know, give us employment. Um, but of course, other things happened with the Labour Party, didn't they, after the 1980s or even after the 70s? It became a party more of, of the middle class and sometimes even of business. And so I think that's had an impact on Labour being a bit more scared about um, you know, putting in policies that might disadvantage uh, the wealthy and disadvantage homeowners and disadvantage um, yeah, higher income people. So you know, they themselves generally are, um, you know, in terms of the personnel in the Labour Party, tend to be those on higher incomes, having lots of assets, just like the other political parties in Parliament. You know, um, they do quite well. And so they kind of just aren't, personally, you know, um, they're disconnected from life of those at the bottom and um, they just that just makes them think differently, it makes them think more in terms of what's important for business, what's important for the wealthy, which is always kind of lower taxes. Matt, what do you have to say about this? I'm trying, I'm trying to remain very calm as Bryce reminds us of our history that uh, the three of us were involved in all our adult lives, you know, and that what what we've got now is a situation, it used to be the hard right that used to go after the poor. What we've actually got is the liberal middle classes now, which are locking it in, have locked it in. See, we're not even allowed to talk about wealth taxes anymore, you see. What we have is a is a is a normalcy about how you, as Bryce said, about the user pay. You know that neoliberalism used to be a terrible word. We don't even use it anymore. I know what this is now. This is just the status quo. So we actually have theft, which goes on the entire time from the poor to the, to, to the middle and the rich ends of town. The middle class is where Labour was the strongest when it identified as a working class party with all its faults but identified. That is who our voter is. Now it's liberals and middle class. I call it the divide between the flat white left and the coffee and milk left. You know, there's a difference. And what's happened is, is that institutions of, of the left, the culture has become, we accept the system as it is and we lock it in. And then we try and be good people by trying to be missionaries to the poor. So when the left had a class 
analysis, you would actually have used to kind of the Labour Party used to go to the middle class to win the majority against the wealthy. Now it's the middle class's side with the right or, or, or with the rich to keep the poor in their place. Now, for example, I'll tell you this. There is no taxes on rich people when they die. There used to be just an acceptance. It's when you die, you got taxed. That's income to give to children who don't deserve it. They never earned it. Their parents, they earn it, and they give it to their kids, and it's free money. They buy asset houses, which is just a crime. About the, you know, It's not about how much these houses are worth. They're worth you know, about half or a quarter of what they buy them for. It's about servicing cheap loans. And that what happens is that it helps the rich. And all we do is have a class of renters, you know, and even the landlord now gets sub 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 by rent sub subsidy to the landlord who borrows the ma, 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 money to make non-taxable gains, and so it goes on. So we perpetuate a political system where a third of the society owns two and more houses, and many more for many of them, you know, um, a third which own their home is with the bank. And then a third who will be permanent renters. And they're at the mercy of the landlord class or the property classes. The government subsidises the landlord and subsidise and, and then make, pays no tax. The renters who are paying the rent are paying taxes, but their landlords are not. That is a society and Labour won't go near it. Ooh, we don't want to upset. And so what we have is that we have wealth is not taxed. We, 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 we tax the poor at the expense of the middle classes. And so it's just a crime. But this is not just in New Zealand. This is around the world. The traditional social dem, dem, democratic parties or think tanks have given up on, on, on this analysis. And it's just in a lifetime we've seen. And so the left has become a liberal middle class, which does nice things. See, and I'll just finish with this because I don't want to go, but I, but, but I, I think this is not said enough. The, the student loans is a tax on education to the working poor, which have to take out loans to go to the university or to higher education. This, the, the Kiwi saver is a tax. It's a regressive tax on the poor to pay for their own superannuation. Which by the time they get to a superannuation age, it will be cancelled. It will be privatised. Think now they're talking about a social wage about insurance. Well, again, that is actually now putting in a tax against the unemployment, which will um, you know which will subsidise. What we find is price is quite right. Is user pay by stealth, and it's done by smiley face. And so what we have is that labour. You know we defend capitalism. And retro and and, and, and steroid capitalism with smiles and niceness, and that's the difference between our thing. And I just think it's a it's an outrage, is that this has been done once more by the left. The left fought in neoliberalism in, in this country in in the eighties. And I'll finish with this. And Bryce said about the trickle down economics. For those who you know, Bryce explained is that the, there's a there's a view um, outrageously that if you make the richer richer, then they will drop their, their money down and so the poor can have it. Well, it's best to explain to that. You know, we have the rich on the castle and what you're feeling splashing on your face is their wheeze. Ain't money. All right, that's my last word. Thank you. Actually, I think that uh, neoliberalism has worked. It has It's redistributed income from the poor to the rich. <laughs> You're still there, there goes my bias. Sorry about that. 
Oh, it's just it's just the rages. Is that what you do? Is you just put in the you put what what we've got is that that this is all held up by by ordinary work working people just going into debt, and it's all fueled fueled by debt. It's not done by production. Or this smart. is why you have things like the housing crash. You know, eight. Oh, of course. I mean, it's about debt, and what we do is we sell debt, and then people have to work longer and longer hours. You know. When we were younger, Martin, I won't say you, Bryce, but um, Martin and I, when we were young, young, younger, right, the, the thing is that, is that it was a consensus in the Western world, at least, is that, you know, that a family had to have enough money to to, 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 to um, live on within the, you know, without with, with a balance. But what we have now with the working poor, which is, you know, which is a huge majority, a huge part of society now, it's two, three jobs. You know, like an average rate in Auckland, where I live in the rents now, is 600 bucks. So, gee, I wonder how many how many hours you've got to work to pay that off and live. You know, that one, that one of my uh, friends I work with um, pay 903 bucks a week for rent for a three-bedroom, quite a, mo- a modest one. So, you know, hands up all those who think when interest rates... Um, go go up. That that rents aren't going to go up even more and more, and uh, and the workers will just have to continue to go on to the landlords. Bryce yeah, and Matt, Matt, do you think there's going to be any real debate or discussion of wealth tax? In- well, no. well, we're, we're we're certainly seeing David Parker as the Minister of Revenue saying that he wants a debate, and I think there is actually quite a big interest in taxation um, compared to the last few years. I mean, taxation is not really a sexy word um, and a concept, but I have noticed that there's much more interest on the left um, in society about taxation and the idea of a capital gains tax or other wealth taxes. And so I think it is something that this government is, is keen to show that they want to be part of this debate. Uh, so Parker has got the IRD doing some more research on on the wealthy and how much tax they're paying. What is least clear about is whether that's kind of a sop, whether that's just to show that they are um, are doing something, and in reality, we'll never see anything from the the Labour Party. You've got or, the Prime Minister saying she'll never bring in a. Uh... Well, she says she'll never bring in a capital gains tax. And we saw that what back in 2018. She didn't seem keen on a wealth tax either. Yeah, she doesn't seem keen on it, but I think there is a a rising interest in it. So I I see lots of people that are kind of, you know, banging their fist on the table, really wanting this, you know, and they're suddenly realizing that, yes, we can't have a decent welfare state, we can't have. Uh, infrastructure for climate change or whatever unless we have the resources and they know the answer isn't just to raise uh, tax on GST or income taxes that they see that they need to find another way and so I still feel a bit maybe a bit more optimistic than than Matt that the Labour Party the Labour government might be kind of pressured to bring in some sort of wealth tax. But we saw at the last election, the Green Party, um, you know, they campaigned on a wealth tax. And, you know, that's kind of good and everything, but I was quite disappointed that it was a very moderate wealth tax. Um, It it wasn't really something to scare the wealthy at all. It gave exemptions pretty much to the wealthy for their first $1 million for each person in the household. And so my feeling is that 
Yes, the Labour government might end up bringing in some sort of wealth tax, but it will be pretty mild and effective. It won't bring in a lot of revenue. If I was a Frenchman, I'd be more worried about wealth tax than I would be as a New Zealander. Mm. Um, That'd be a safe bet. Um, I mean, the French political left is actually unified for the um, parliamentary elections for the first time in 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting what's happening in France. And obviously, France has a bit more of a history, culture of working class and left wing activism and politics. But I think there's something more going on there. I think that um, throughout the world, we are seeing some sorts of increases in radicalism. And, you know, they've had, you know, a, a lot of people... You know, that have been hurt by recent years of uh, rising cost of living. Uh, and there just is a sort of rising discontent, I think, throughout the world. And sometimes we see it in terms of a vote for things like Brexit or maybe even Trump. Um, and sometimes it seems quite um, hard to understand a lot of these working people voting for what you know, the likes of us three might see as reactionaries like we saw in France, because we saw 42% of the population, or the or voters at least, at that last French presidential round, voting for the far-right candidate. But they weren't really voting for, I don't think they were voting most of them for racism, sexism, or whatever else that candidate stood for. They were voting because Marine Le Pen was really pushing cost of living issues. And she was championing those at the bottom that had been hurt. And I think we're likely to see more of that in the rest of the world and even New Zealand um, where, yeah, people are pissed off and um, they might not know how to express that um, discontent in the way that us three might think is a positive way voting for a left-wing sort of alternative, but they will start expressing some of their anger. uh, And it's just whether there's any kind of left-wing leaders that can sort of, you know, help mould that discontent yeah uh, uh, look i think i think i think you're right bryce i, I think that um what we've got is a um from the uh social democratic movement which represents the working class sort of issues um you know the, the economic matters right that what we have gone become comfortable now as we talk about um uh, social policy you know and and individual rights uh, whether it's on gender or sexuality or on um on all rights at the expense and i think this is deliberate or at least you know it's 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 conscious in some people's minds so we don't talk about the economic issues of class and about the injustice of so of so of social injustice so we've got a large part of the working class and trump was able to pick on that and le pen and others around the world and we've had a bit of that in new zealand too you know and so if the far right you know links into that working class despair and saying it's what they always do, it's not your fault, it's someone else's fault. Instead of pointing it upstairs of where it is to blame, you know, amongst the world, the world and that, they pointed that the other. And whether it's immigrants or, you know, in the Nazi days, the Jews or some other, it's it's the other. And particularly the others who can't fight back. And that that then once you split the work a large part of the working class, and you're absolutely right. And what the, about it's linked around the economic questions, you know, and that what the liberal left does, it drives me, but that's a, that's a class question within itself. They then go around saying, 
this class, this part of the work, working class, they're racist or they're, um, you know, they're sexist or they're this or they're that. And it fuels the alienation of the working class from its traditional allies or traditional leadership, the, the parties of which they created sort of by, by the way to work in their interests. And then, of course, when they wake up one day and that nice Mr. Trump is runs the world, you know, the grifter, and then you've got Le Pen like, what? And then the liberal left go and Brexit and they go, how did this happen? Oh, my God, you know, they should be vote, 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 vote. Because they don't like you. Because you don't represent their interests anymore. You represent yours. And so I think that's the challenge for the left. And this is where we go back to the original question you raised, um, uh, Marvin, about taxation. You know, this is a symptom. Uh, that the only reason they're talking about taxation, you know, a symptom of, of where do we tax now? Because the poor can't pay anymore. They've got 15% GST. You know, income tax is actually quite high when you consider what else they're paying. Once you take out an education loan, you know, the, the tax, and you take out the super tax, are, they, are, are the key, the key, these are taxes, and then privatised, working people pay 50% in taxation. And then they're going to pay extraordinarily high rents to fund someone else's investment from, from, from a bank. And so, and then the Reserve Bank are the ones who are giving the bank the money to give back to the poor to put themselves in the hock. And so that's the cycle. They haven't got any more money. See, the problem they've got, that when COVID come, come about, they gave oodles of money out to business to subsidise the wages, even if they didn't want need it. That's fine. I understand it. They fund it. Now they've borrowed it all. They can't borrow any more. So now they've got to think, well, how are we going to actually fund the debt or fund our basic services? We've got to get them. The only place they come down is wealth tax or taxing the wealthy. Then suddenly they kind of it becomes a nervous. Oh my God, how am I going to do it? Put a paper up. Now the government's on the back foot, right? The Nats have got their tail up, and now they want to talk, talk, talk all about this. A bit late. A bit late. As anyone knows anything about politics, when you do progressive things which take on the rich and the powerful. You do it in your first term in the first month because that's what Rod, Roger Douglas did, Muldoon did, all the ones who succeeded, right? And when they got the mandate, their first, it's the best election they're going to get. You know, that Jacinda was lucky. She has had two coronations. And now her instincts were not to tax the rich. When she had a mandate, she had a lot of the people with it. She could have done it, and she didn't because she comes from a different part of society, thinking that if you're empathetic and I'm a nice person, that's enough. This is about interests, and it's an interest of classes of who pays what and who gets what. And so what they did is they backed off, and now really, do we actually believe that poor old David's got the job because he knows what's right. He knows what's right, and he puts it up as a tentative thing. Now, Bryce, I'm sure I'm not wrong, but you and I would what's the chances of this being, being put up as a serious election issues? Uh, this election, uh, zero. This is a talk, just talk. Okay. <laughs> to, um, the, um... Mar Mar Marvin, there's not many times as a left wing wing as we get to talk about what, about what we really think. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what, I mean, if you can't talk about what you really think, what's the point of talking? But well, why you... can I that we go on to mainstream things, you see? <laughs> so uh, we've got to be polite. Would you like to talk about the, um, briefly about the fair pay agreement system that's um, maybe introduced? Well, I'll do it very quickly. You see, I'm trying to be as quick as I can because most people, you know, won't really know what it's about. It, it's, now, I'm a union boy, and I think, but what this is an example of the state and the unions thinking that they can 
do it as missionaries. You know, we'll do it for the working class without getting any, any tools to organize themselves. This doesn't all organize the working class. This is a middle class approach to poverty and power powerlessness. We'll do it for, for, for you. The employing class are, are going to make this an election issue. It doesn't really achieve the things I think it needs to achieve. It's, it's actually going to undermine the union movement. And, 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 and you're going to get union conditions without having to belong to a union. And so therefore, you're going to, you know, there's no, it's not an agenda to, mo, to, mo, to mobilise. Why the French take to the street? Because they've got a tradition of that they build unions and institutions. What we do is that we think we get the unions to lobby the state to do nice things, and 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 that's where I think the culture has actually followed. The union movement has now become, I think, an approach like like an NGO that would do it. More like a lobby. Well, it's an NGO, and the C and the CDU they lobby the government of the day to get nice things. So we have a you know we we do things like you know the zero hours or the hours of work or, or paid parental leave, we do it all through the state. And the, and the unions built this country in a way that we, we had real power from the community was because you build it from grassroots up. Now we do it from the centre out. And I think this is just another example because it will not change the fundamental relationship uh, for employees for a worker to get more. It's not about their rights. They've already got their rights. What this is, is about how do you um, achieve power to deliver more things to you and the people for whom you're responsible? And it doesn't do that. It doesn't do it. There's no wages and sort of, and all sorts of vetoes. And so what it is, is union officials and government officials can sit down and do it. The employees have actually boycotted it. The National Party got themselves a, a weapon to go for the boogeyman. And I just think this is not thought thought through. I don't. I don't think it's smart at all, in my view. Okay, now I think we might have a a, a music break. Thank you. 
millionaires They got money coming out of their ears It should have been ours But it's all theirs And too many, too many millionaires Too many millionaires They got it all but they got nothing to spare They complain about the people Live on welfare Too many, too many millionaires Yeah, now He's a connoisseur A raconteur Deep down inside He's real shy He tells his chauffeur But he don't call me sir Ain't he a wonderful guy Tell us all about it Tell us again Tell us how your money ain't everything Tell us all about it Tell it to our face How you wanna join us in the human race Friends, that, that was Too Many Millionaires, and uh, we'll go on with Bryce Edwards from uh, the Democracy Project and Matt McCartney, a union activist and a political activist. Could you briefly talk about the government's handling of Three Waters' proposal and Mari co-governance issues? Sure. So I think everyone can agree at the moment that New Zealand needs a lot of investment in our water infrastructure. We've got you know, lots of problems throughout the country, some places more than others. Um, and so the Three Waters program is something set up by the government to deal with the areas of drinking water um, you know, that comes through our taps to our houses, uh, storm water, all that water that, um, you know, rains down and goes down the streets and stops, you know, we need a system to stop that flooding everywhere. And then, of course, the third one is the sewerage with the wastewater, you know, leaving our houses and everywhere. And so what the government's done is set up this uh, Three Waters program so that um, instead of every local government authority throughout the country being having a responsibility for dealing with those three waters uh, um, and instead of them having their own assets for them, that they will amalgamate them into four regional um, entities uh, that you might see as um, almost like a, a water company. And um, there'll be basically three in the North Island and one for most of the North Island. And um, I think there's a lot of logic in, in what they've come up with in this regard, um, a bit of amalgamation makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure that they have amalgamated them in the right ways. Uh, you know, maybe there should be four, maybe there should be ten. I don't know. But the other controversial part 
is that in choosing um, who's going to run these boards, who's going to be on the board of directors, if you like, for each um, of these water companies, uh, half of the votes for deciding that will go to the, the local authorities, so to the Auckland City Council, to the Wellington City Council and, and so forth. Um, and the other half will go to local iwi and hapu. Uh, and so that's, you know, obviously got a lot to do with uh, the government's intention to uh, deal with uh, Treaty of Waitangi sort of claims uh, and to show that they uh, are, yeah, in, in line with uh, the traditions of the treaty. And so it's really quite a radical change. And um, the government talks about it being co-governance. And so it essentially means that, uh, yeah, local authorities and iwi will each have half of the control over these assets, deciding, you know, how they spend their money, um, what water resources get built up. And so I guess for a lot of people, that's quite uh, um, a surprising and shocking thing to suddenly give half the control to the iwi. Um, and there's a lot of questions about why the government's doing it. And the government haven't really uh, explained it or justified it, in my view. Matt, what's your take on this? Rice has been very polite and reasonable and considered, and he's right, except, <laughs> of course, it comes from Wellington. They, they're yeah. clueless, completely clueless. This looks fabulous in, in the rooms in Wellington and in the whiteboards, and they all sit around with and they go, God, this is, oh, it's so constructive. It's got nothing. You know, this is madness, madness politically, and and, and probably um, you know. So you look well in the town I come from, which is Auckland, of course. We've already got a an asset, you know, which is the water, which has been amalgamated, and it's a you know, it's it's thing. The only thing where I had to propose it goes with Northland, and Northland's going, uh, uh-uh, we we don't want it. And Auckland go, well, why the hell are we paying for up there? You know, so you get that prohogalism. So they're trying to get one size fits all, which is a mistake. Now, down the rest of the country, and certainly in the rural areas, I think there's a good case for that. But you see, the politics have been, but also this is the appointments, right? They go, you know, so where Auckland, say, got a, what is it, $14 billion asset, which is doing very well in, a, in terms of uh, financial uh, capability, let's just say. The government takes it over, you know, takes over the control of it for essentially nothing. So it takes an asset off the local, um, and give them a few coins, and then and then point and effectively appoints the board, you know, I mean, um, you know, controls the thing. And so what what we've got is so far it's in the control of the council, now it won't be. And so there needs to be more damn democratic control of the things, not less. I mean, that's part of the problem about setting off all the assets away from local control is that you've got a whole class of professional um, criminals, who white-collar criminals, who actually get control of the people's assets and give them to each other and serve on each other's boards, and then they talk about privatisation, partial privatisation, because this will give us more money and so on and so on. These things are monopolies. They've been in the people's hands. So they've taken um, a problem, but their solution is clumsy, but also having having a naya, and this is where I, you know, I think I want to. Was that someone? Some people would wouldn't be able to say what I'm about to say for reasons which are obvious. The naya just happens to be the um, the minister of local government, so she announced it. But she's always been a fan of putting the water un, under control, where for treaty rights. Now that's not lost on every racist in town. 
across the country, right? This is, this is in a local body election year. Gee, how many local candidates are going to run and say, yes, give our war, 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 water and so it's subject to treat, treat, treaty claims, give half of it to people that we, that we don't know? You know, this is, this is a political nightmare which the government didn't see coming. I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised if certain members of the government would think, shit, we didn't think the Prime Minister would actually agree to put this up because this is going to hurt and the government and completely unnecessary, completely unnecessary. It's where something gets seen for wringing hands in Wellington. It was a solution. It is not. This is a thing. What we have is a problem of water not being um, 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 officially sort of managed within capacity. So I think it was always, as, as Bryce saying, it could have been 10. It, you go for what? makes sense to the locals, you know, but when you say all of the South Island is one, yeah, that means big bureaucracies, right, and big control at the top, by initially it wasn't even with elected members, so I just think the whole thing has been mismanaged, the idea was required, it's been mismanaged and it's been imposed and it's then turned into where populations will feel this is now a, a grab um, and, and it brings up the issues of treaty of settlement, i.e. Māori's get, getting too much control. So I just think they, they have mixed a whole lot of things up to get together, united their opposition against them, and this will be one of the factors which is going to hurt them next year. They're going to be finding things not to hurt them because this election is going to be close run. And this is one of the ones, that, you know, there, there's a nail, there's a coffin. And this is one of the ones I don't want to have banged in. All right. Um, I think we're getting now into what's the meaning of politics. How many ordinary voters care about gender identity or um, uh, identity politics or that kind of thing compared to economic equality and poverty or even climate change? And where does this leave the Green Party conference putting the gender issue of leadership before the before these other issues such as equality and climate change? Could you talk about the current direction of the Green Party and their future destination if they continue on their present path? Wow, how many hours have we got left? Um, there's, there's a lot to discuss there, and I, I think this is a huge topic of importance. And I don't think I can sum up or my thoughts about it briefly, but I'll, I'll, I'll try by saying that, you know, I think the left need to take uh, issues of racism, sexism, uh, homophobia, uh, all of these social issues incredibly seriously. And as the left, we need to incorporate those things into our programs. And in the past, you know, maybe before the 1980s, the left didn't take those things seriously enough. And so the left, yeah, it, it did fail to be properly progressive enough. And so now it's kind of like we've swung to the other end of the spectrum um, to, or the pen pendulum has swung to the, somewhere to the, a, a sort of sense of obsessiveness about some of those issues. And now that's all fine, but um, it does seem to have a consequence that um, the left then uh, isn't able to also deal with economic issues, with class issues, and in some ways, unfortunately, it becomes a distraction. And we get progressives um, and left-wingers that only want to talk about homophobia, only want to talk about um, different ways of that um, society is reactionary and backwards. And 
you know, there's a bit of we we need to have a bit of that, absolutely. But um, I guess my way of trying to explain some of this is the example of the fourth Labour government. If you go back to the 1980s, when the the Labour Party, in, in my view, became more of a middle class party, um, and you had Roger Douglas and David Longy introducing these neoliberal reforms. You had a lot of people in the party on the left, the progressive people, um, that were trying to battle Roger Douglas, but failing. Um, so the left in the party could see these horrible things going on with um, the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer, but they couldn't defeat it. They Maybe they weren't even interested in defeating it to some extent. So they turned to nuclear policy, you know, anti-nuclear movement. They turned to, you know, setting up um, a ministry for women's affairs, uh, the peace movement, uh, lots of issues around sexuality. And, you know, a lot of these things were quite good things to do, but they became at the expense of fighting the right. And that's kind of where I'm saying that it can be a, a, a problem if you don't integrate um, those different campaigns, if you just, if the left just becomes interested in the uh, the gender of your co-leader. Um, so anyhow, that's my point. Um, I, I'd be interested to see what Matt says, but I do think it's a problem for the Green Party when they just become interested in putting all their attention into getting the right identity politics at the, the top of the party. Okay. Uh, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, my, my, my position is is that um, I think Bryce's his, his analysis is um, is overall correct um, and it's self-evident. You know, my my view is is that you know for the left and this is a working class um, activist for many years, it's an it's a no-brainer. It's always been it's an equality for all. You know, and, and my approach has always been with with the working class left ways I've been involved. And it's like. People as, as individuals should always be support, supported. Anything that makes them happy, as long as it doesn't pinch on someone's right. As in the seventies. Maybe if, and so maybe if I'm a university professor and own two houses, I won't want to pay higher income taxes. Well, but yeah, that's right. But I'm not even saying is that I I, I think that liberal politics, when I say that about individual rights, is a comfort zone um, for people who have been lifted up. You know, you're comfortable in that. You think about the white white issue. It's the Maslow ladder of needs, you know. And so, but if you are working class or underclass and you're just trying to survive, then it's putting food on your table is your first priority. And what I say to us as political activists, you know, um, is an injury to one is an injury to all. And we're judged by the weakest link within our um, society. And I think the fight is for economic justice and that. The things about women's rights or, or rights of immigrants or the rights of sexuality of gender, they evolve because they're correct. You know, it's not see, it's not like there's a fight by the ruling class against women's rights. They all give lip service to it now. They all give things. They give lip service to it. So that intellectual battle's been won. Now implementation's another question. But you see, what we're doing is we turn around to be more pure than thou. I think what's happening in the Green Party does a disservice. It makes it a ridicule. You know, we've got to have a Maori leader and a woman leader and at least one woman. And we've got to, this is nonsense. This isn't, it's like having fights about trans toilets and school stuff, which goes on with the states. This is irrelevant to, to where working people are, the masses of working people are. And it becomes a kind of a, we want to be outraged for people who are not even asking for it. And so 
what I think is is, is a serious political a- a- activist, the fight for economic justice is is where the fight is. The fights for individual rights, that battle's been won. It's about implementation and examples where it's not being done. But you see, putting more women on a capitalist corporate board does nothing for the cleaner who has to put her kids to bed at home and come and clean out their bloody office at night, you know? And and, 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 and having to take on a second and third job to put the kids up and, and they've got no one to look after them after school, et cetera, et cetera, they're so exhausted. So what we have is that we talk about the middle class gets elevated and does quite well from these things, but in fact the working class is still poor, and the migrant community, which is the you know the underclass, are just invisible. And we don't fight there. No, that's too hard because that's where money is made. That's where our system relies on. So when we go out to food courts, we go out to dinner, you know, in the swanky parts of town. Why is it cheap? You know why it's cheap, you know. But we don't want to address that, you know. We want we, we we have a comfortable life, and when we can have a home and charge someone else rent because we can get a loan from the bank, we don't want to find out well, how does that happen. But you see, we don't. And I bet you, all the liberals I know, they don't do it themselves. They have property managers to do it. So property managers can toss them out and harass them and stop them from having a loan they don't like, like it, toss them out in the street. And so what we have is a lot of the middle liberal classes are sided with the establishment, and so to keep their credentials, we talk about things that aren't aren't threatening to the ruling class and that's society and people need, need to go and look at some bloody mirrors. So I, I entirely agree with all of that, Matt, and I know we're running out of minutes, um, so we're just about finishing <laughs> off, but I just wanted to talk a bit about the Green Party and, and get your view on this, Matt. In terms of the future of the Green Party, I'm starting to see that maybe uh, there's, there's too much um, likeness between Labour and the Greens, they're both too focused on social issues. I mean, we need some party perhaps focused on identity politics and liberalism. I think that's just inevitable. No, we don't. Well, <laughs> I'll put it differently if we don't know if Not we need focus. it. But there, there will be one. Maybe what's best if, if the, the Green Party just become the natural party of the middle class and liberal issues and identity politics and Labour stops being that party. And Labour moves back to the parties focused on class and economics. I guess a lot of people used to think that the Greens were going to be the new left-wing party to the left of Labour. And I don't think they're naturally that way inclined. Yes, they had some economic policies that were to the left of Labour, but I think the future for the Greens is actually to the right of Labour, and it's for Labour to come back to being a more social democratic and working-class-focused parties. I don't think the Greens can do that. Boy, you are an optimist. No, I think, I think look, that, that, there's a thing we thought, just for listeners' sake, um, thing is that the Green Party did start out as a blue-green party. It did. Mm. Um, but it's an experience. You mean a, a red-green party? No, they started off as a green as a green blue party blue greens they did um, okay. the people who see set it up were blue greens um but with the um they believed in user pay i, I mean i can say all this because yeah. i was there and so yeah. but when they joined the alliance they then had new leadership come up jeanette fitzsimons and rob donald and others and then as when the alliance imploded is that people like keith lock and sue bradford and and, and russell norman and others went and so it's, it moved and it's become very much the default left party. Okay, is there room but, in but New it's Zealand? Essentially a liberal. Well, it's straddled both. It's, it, it's is there room for a party of the left, well, of, of the working class of course, in New Zealand? A, well, it needs to be a voice of the working class, so there needs to be a party within the political. Now, Labour's always had that default position, 
um, even if they didn't deserve it. But I think um, I think the rise of the new right in the world is the result of the traditional social democratic parties ignoring their working class roots and 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 trying to be a middle class or well, becoming a middle class party. I think that's the challenge of the left across the world. I think that all the institutions of working class movements have been are now led or been captured by liberal class, the liberal classes, and it reflects as their thing. They have no understanding. You know, you can just take that by where does leadership of the left movements live? Don't live in the working class areas. They live in the liberal areas, and that's just the world over. And that's why the alienation of the working class of their interests are not being addressed. And I think that's the challenge for the left if they want to go and look in the mirror. Okay, I think we'll have to end there. But thanks a lot, and I'll have you both on again in the near future, if you're still willing. Uh, always with you, Marvin. You're one of the brothers. Got to, got to support the uh, discussion, but um, you give us a platform. Yeah, thanks a lot. And good to it's, see you. I think these are issues that New Zealand should be talking about. Good to do. All right, boys. Okay. Bye. Thanks, guys. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.